Hey, welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. My name is Dave Pryor. Derek Keithers taking some time out of his afternoon. Derek, thanks for being here. My pleasure, Dave. Oh, look at your deep radio voice. Okay. Um, so <laughs> we're going to talk about something today. It's sort of an exploration. Um, and this is about basics. So one of the things that happens when people start to do any Agile practice is the first thing they want to be told is like, what are the things I have to do? What's the step-by-step? And one of the unfortunate things that happens along the way is a lot of people just say, yeah, well, I'm not going to do that because I'm different. I'm special. You don't understand. But then there are things that they do and they're kind of going through the motions. And then some of that stuff kind of slips because they don't always understand the why. And that, and a lot of times they don't even ask the question why. Um, this is uh, from I'm, Derek. I'm curious to know what you think about this, but I I see this as a pretty big problem, but also it's a normal part of transition. If you're going from the old way of working where we did tell everybody, have your little thinky ideas on the weekend, do what we tell you right now. Now you want them to be more present and mindful about their work. Certainly. And I think I'm trying to, how would, how would I articulate, you know, why are they doing the things that they're doing? And, And the one thing that keeps creeping back into my head is, is safety. You know, that's kind of a theme that we keep, a recurring theme we keep saying is if people don't feel safe in doing certain things, then they're going to do what they know. Right. Uh, or or they're not going to necessarily ask for help. So a really great example is reporting. So traditional organization, you've got Gantt charts, utilization reports, all that stuff. We switch over to Agile and it's it's a very common practice for like, let's say a PMO to go to management and say, what do you want us to give you now that we're Agile in terms of reports? Management only knows Gantt charts and utilization reports, so that's what they want. Um, but that safety thing becomes a big part of it because now a lot of people feel like, oh, I've got to give them both or I've got to find some way of faking out a Gantt chart or whatever that is. And and coaches are in there saying, no, no, we don't do that anymore. Right. And and that's interesting. What's interesting about that is knowing who your customer is. So it doesn't matter if you're a customer or a stakeholder or who it is that you're trying to service. and um, if they believe that they need Gantt charts, well, then you need to provide them the information that's in those Gantt charts until you can provide something that is equal to or superior to it that you think you know, they should be having. And so, so until, mm, go ahead. I was going to say, I would say you need to provide them with the information, but maybe not in right. that format until you can figure out what information they actually need, which they may not even know yet. Right. And so, so they ask for a Gantt chart. But they want the information. Right. And that's, that's like the story that I've told a dozen times about a client. Uh, they had a product owner who was against the wall. He didn't, he didn't have enough time to satisfy the needs that the, the, the business was saying, we need this report. We need it now. He said, I don't have this reporting specialist. You were months away from being able to create this report. And they're like, that's not good enough. You need to do it right now. And what he just kept saying, well, why do you need this? Why do you need this? And he just kept asking and asking and asking. The way he whittled it down finally was, oh, they didn't need the report. What they needed was the information. Yeah. And one, it went from, oh, we can have it done in a couple of months so we can have this uh, reporting specialist on site and we'll figure out what you need. Because they didn't even know the information that they needed. When it came right down to it, within a week, they were able to deliver a dump from the database into Excel and that was good enough. Okay. But they didn't know, so they didn't know what they needed uh, until they until they saw it. So a lot of it's just figuring out the right questions to ask until they learn how to right. answer them. Right. 
So let's say that I'm on a team and you're coaching me and I'm in an organization and you've told me that I need to have daily standups every day. And I'm like, why? Everything's the same every day. Why do we have to have this every day? And I know I, as a coach, I've been through the thing where I'm like, just, just do it. Okay. Just don't <laughs> ask so much question. Just do what I'm, t- it's going to work. Trust me. And that doesn't really have a lot of empathy for the person with the question. <laughs> it doesn't really do anything mm-hmm. to solve their problem of not getting why we're saying to do this. And what kind of advice do you have for people in that situation? So, so I have a very interesting perspective on daily standups. I'm looking at my currency is time. Okay. Everything is time. I'm trading time. So I look at the daily standup as it costs me 15 minutes per person. Right. So I add that up and that's my cost or more importantly, I call it, that's my investment. Okay. And what I'm looking at is in the next 24 hours, am I going to save 15 minutes or, or a combined unit, however many people I have on my team, am I going to save that much time in delays? That's what I'm trying to accomplish now. And it, it's not just in that one day. Remember if we can catch something early yeah, it's just orders of magnitude for every day that it delays. So and it's so almost like that's a preventative why, measure. That's that's it's risk mitigation. That's what it is. Okay. So I, I'm asking for a 15 minute time investment in order to save or get a better return on our sprint. You know, so that that's what it's all. It's all about investing time. So one of the things that I have come up in class a lot is people would respond to that with. Well, it's not really a good investment because I give the same update every day. So we all do that. And it's just stupid to have this every day. We could be working. Why do we have to say I'm still working on X? Okay. Well, the question I, I might say is, well, this is a minimal opportunity for you to communicate with one another. You should. So let's, let's look at that. Are you all saying the exact same thing day after day after day? Then maybe the daily standup is a wasteful exercise. But I'm willing to bet it's not. I'm willing to bet that you are talking to each other on a regular basis. And so just like a retrospective, they should never skip a retrospective. But I'm also saying that's a minimum opportunity for them to reflect again on the sprint. Yeah. They should be they should be continuously trying to improve their processes throughout the sprint, but they rarely do that. And the same thing with the with the stand-up. They rarely communicate them throughout, especially if they're distributed. Yeah. They're not continuing. They're n- they don't have a shared understanding of where they are at that moment in time. And so there's that one opportunity, that brief opportunity each day, because it, it's not about you. It's about somebody else. And I, so that one person might not be doing anything. Yeah. They might not be doing anything else, but somebody else that they're going to be dependent on at some point will. And then all of a sudden it's a valuable a valuable meetup. And, and I would, I mean, I usually respond by saying like, look, if, if your people are giving the same update every day, then that tells me something else is broken in the same way that if you're finding retrospectives, not helpful, something else is broken. Like if the work you're taking in is so big and you haven't figured out how to break it down, that you really are giving the same update every day, then your work's too big. You need to break it down because we need to see that incremental progress. Or if you're not coming up with stuff to change in the retrospective, you're asking the wrong questions or people don't feel safe answering. Yeah. So I agree on both of those. So yeah, I've actually, when I've interacted with a team on the standup and kind of coached them through that process, I really, I don't like falling back on, well, what did you do yesterday? What are you doing today? It's always, you know, what did you finish yesterday? 
because, and that's just that one little tweak. tweak yeah. That I just, like, what did you finish yesterday? What are you going to finish today? And if they don't have an answer to that, well, then there's an immediate opportunity for someone else on the team to help them. And, and you're right. They don't feel safe or they don't feel you know, maybe, well, it does fall back to safety, but maybe they're intimidated. They don't want to be judged by their colleagues or peers, you know, that, oh, they can't figure it out. They can't hold their own. We're, we're trying to stop that behavior, Yeah, you know, and get to, you know, ask for help and, and just keep focusing on delivering on the sprint. So do you think, I mean, I guess I would say that it's a fairly normal part of this transformation is getting to the part where. You're just going to do it because we've been told to do it. And then people eventually, to my experience, they eventually do see the value and they do get it. They kind of get, they end up outside of the cave one way or another. But I don't know if, I mean, maybe you disagree. I don't know if that's something that you can create that moment or, or socially engineer that thing where they're suddenly like, oh, that's why we have to do this. Like they, I feel like there's a, a window they got to fall out of on their own. Yeah, it's, it's totally a personal moment. Absolutely. And you can talk and talk and talk about it. And, but until it impacts them, I don't think they're going to get it. Yeah. It's always, well, what's in it for me? And it sounds absolutely selfish, but it doesn't matter if you're a developer on a team or a consultant or coach in the field, you know, when you're learning new things, you know, until you internalize it and you practice it. And then you're like, Oh, that's not what I thought it was. You know, until you have that aha moment, then you're just kind of going through the motions, doing what you think is right. You know, but, but uh, I mean, we're not going to learn. We're not going to learn from that. So ready for the big segue. Okay. All right. So hang on. (laughs) Um, So to me, like I always think about something like scrum, if it stands on three legs, those legs are held together with trust. So we're asking people to trust us. And if you're in a coaching role, asking them to trust you until they can see the value. One of the often the harder parts, and and for me, it, it was and continues to be one of the most challenging parts about working with teams or working in general, is when you make the switch from being a guy who is doing stuff every day to being a guy whose job is to help other people do stuff, whether you are in a product owner role or a scrum master role or some sort of managerial capacity in a company. um, A lot of people are like, Oh, I really want to get to that part where I can just help people. But then when they get there, taking their hands off the wheel is the hardest part of that because you look at people and you're like, yeah, that's not going to work. And (laughs) the trust is reversed. We have to learn to trust people. And that's hard. Yeah, it's super hard. And and I'm coming from a background where I'm not used to creating space and safety for people. You know, I was wired to drive a team, you know, really focus on something and get them there, drive them. And that's not the type of language we we traditionally use right. in, in the Agile community. It's like, you don't drive teams. Oh, that sounds, you know, that's not what we're trying to accomplish. I understand that. But it's in our nature to do these things, yep. you know, and when you know, let's say if you know where you need to be, if I, in my, you know, in my brain, see the vision of where I need to be and when I need to be there, then I'm trying to pull, push, throw that team in that direction, get them there as quickly as possible. It's, it's very, very hard to just say, okay, team, here's, this is where you need to be. <laughs> Be awesome. 
yeah. go, go. You know, it, it's just it, that in, in itself, I think, is a, is a learned, learned process. They are a little more self-directed. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's that added challenge of taking your hands off the wheel. Um, I had this one guy in a class one time. It was just moved into it. They called it a technical product owner. And he said, well, how do I make sure they're going to do it right? I'm like, well, you don't. He's like, yeah, but really though, what's the secret? I'm like, there's no secret. You can't do that. He's like, yeah, right. Cause we're agile, but really man, what's the, what's the trick? Like, the right. trick is no, there's no trick. You got to let them mess up sometimes. And that's for somebody who's emerging out of a, a role where they're responsible for delivering results to trusting other people to deliver those results for you. That's super scary. And that goes back to that safety issue. Right. Well, so then you have to create those conditions in which if they really don't know what the hell they're doing and they really do fail, well, then you, it, it happens in a short enough time that they have an opportunity to recover. Okay. And so, and, and then it's okay because we know that if they don't fail, they're not going to learn. They're just not going to, they're not going to learn by doing it right the first time. And they're going to learn from failing again and again and again and again. And maybe we're not going to call it failure. It's kind of like when we're going to provide the most amount of value for our customer uh, and, or for the product owner. And so we go in there with the best of intentions to say, we're going to deliver exactly what you want. But the thing is, they don't know what they want. Right. And so what we're going to try to do is just try to give them something so they can whittle away at all those things they know that they don't want. So then, you know, but those, you want to call it failure or not. I look at it as it's learning. And if we can do that in a very short time cycle, well, then we're going to get them where they need to be. And everybody's going to learn from that. Now, I feel sort of like at the team level, if we're talking about scrum masters or people coaching teams, we're not so bad at at least explaining that story to them, but from what you've experienced in different companies, and I'm not going to ask you to name any, do you think that senior management is great at carving or is doing a good enough job at carving out that space for people in that middle tier where they feel safe to try and learn how to do their jobs right in the same way that we're saying to the teams, it's okay. Because it it seems like a lot of people in the middle, at least to me, they're told, you got to go make it okay for these guys to fail, but you... You're still on the hook, man. So get it done, yeah, but let them let them make mistakes, but not too many. Yeah, we see that we see that on transformations all the time. Yeah, it's that's super hard because the higher you go in an organization, the more you may have at risk. Yeah, you know, and and you just have different you have different things that are motivating you, or or different things that are making you safe, or give you safety. Uh, you have different things that are you know, uh, again. Just again, it just it makes it harder and harder. I think the harder you, the higher you go in the organization, so they want to create that space and they want to create that space uh, safety for things to happen, but they're under a, an almost unreasonable amount of stress to keep things moving forward. Yeah, I just I spoke to a company today today, and they're like, okay, this is where we are. <clears throat> we need to hit the deadline. We have a deliverable deadline in December. Okay, we have to hit that deadline. By the way, we recognize that this over here that you're looking at, this is all screwed up. Okay. And it needs to be fixed. Um, And so we have a choice and we recognize that we have a choice. That choice is stay the course. Uh, We're going to modify what we're currently doing or we're scrapping everything and going with choice three. 
By the way, regardless of which one of those you choose, we still have to hit yeah. the December deliverable. <laughs> and so you're like, okay. So that's the scenario that's been. Which is created. impossible. Yeah, something's going to give. Something's going to give. And so we have to figure that out. We have to give them options. But in, in a, it's going to come back down to we got to give them safety. They're under uh, well, who's the we? Who's the we there? Who's we that has to well, give safety? Myself and the other consultants. Okay, coaches. Okay. And so we have to create. We have to give them options. We have to create safety for them, and we need to again cast that vision forward and say, "I see where you need to be." Now the difference. So we know that where they need to be in December. Yeah. What we need to do is give them a safe path to December. And December's okay. coming regardless, and you're going to be wherever That's you are right. regardless. So, right. And no so, one's probably so, no one's going to die, probably. Correct. Depending on the project. And, even, and you're right. Even if they don't hit the December deliverables, nobody's going to die. Things are going to go on. Because that's the reality we've had for years. Yeah. You know, if you don't hit the date, well, some things might shake out in the organization. But the difference is, is, well, it never stopped being a goal. You're still going to have to do it. You're just going to arrive at that scope later. Yeah. So, so we'll just or, see how Or that realize out. that maybe there was some stuff in there you didn't actually need. Right. So there will be compromises. You know, like you said, December will get here on time. <laughs> So the question is, is what will December look like when we get there? So let's say that I am in that sort of middle layer of managing stuff. Um, and I'm in a situation where I totally hear what you're saying and I completely agree with it. But I still know that my senior management, they don't totally get it yet. And they're still going to hold me to whatever uh-huh. they've decided I'm going to be responsible for. Do you have, um, I mean, on the soft skill side, on the, you know, whatever side of it, do you have any kind of counsel or advice that you would offer to somebody who is in that spot? Cause I don't, I, I have things I say in the class, but they're not especially supportive. Right. So I quickly try to identify what that the person above me, what they see is valuable okay. and really continuously reinforce that I hear them I understand what they see as valuable. And then just like, it's kind of like we got December. We got to hit December, but we got to do all this other stuff to get to December. So for me to help make that change that's necessary, I know what's necessary. You know, what we're, do, what we're about to do as part of the transformation is not, we're not going to write the code. Okay. If they're going to write the code. They're going to make the changes, whatever it might be. So what I need to do is, make the necessary changes to structure, governance, metrics, tooling. I have to make all these changes without in preventing that from happening. So as part of that, I have to continuously reinforce to management, I recognize that December is important. Okay, I recognize that December is important. Now, I'm not going to say at any point that, yeah, you're not going to make December. But, but what I can say is I can keep looking them right in the eye and say, I hear you, I hear you. I'm not forgetting that. It's still in the front of my mind, but I still have to do what I need to do to get you where you need to be. And so okay. it doesn't matter if I got to get you to December or if I, or what your deliverable is or what your goal is. Yeah. It's always identifying what is, what's important to you. I hear you. 
And then, and oh, and just try to reinforce that what I'm doing is not in going to intentionally try to impede or derail that goal. Yeah. So you're never going to go against them. Okay. So a big part of it then is, is trying to find a way to validate this, this issue that people are seeing and to make sure they're aware of it. I think, so one difference in approaches I would take is I would probably be saying, and this is just the project manager part of my brain. I would be saying, we're not going to make it from day one. <laughs> like, you right. can just forget it, man. It's not happening. But you know what? You got to figure out which people get in the life raft because we need to know who to save the most. Um, but one yeah. of the things that I wanted to bring up, so I interviewed Alistair Coburn a little while ago, and one of the questions we, we were talking about when they created the manifesto, and he said it was one of the best workshops he's been a part of, and I asked why. And what he said was, because, and this was the way he phrased it, there was so much generous listening. Like the people in there were were in there with the intent of not just getting their idea out, but hearing other people's ideas and helping those ideas kind of rise up and become something you could work with. So they were very invested in supporting one another. And I think, I guess I feel like maybe to a certain extent, that is something that we, as a community, haven't totally figured out how to fuse that in at the management level so that from the top down, it is the, yes, we want to switch to Agile because we'll get these results, but these are the ways I'm going to help you. Mm-hmm. You know, like that thing of, of safety is great, but what would be even better along with safety would be support. Um, you know, not just creating the space, but helping somebody fill the space if they needed it. Yeah. So that's interesting because <clears throat> Chris, Chris Beale described something like that. I think the way he described it was we're going to... I think I think this kind of aligns with what you're saying. Imagine we're we're going to come in and say we're going to help you do the transformation, and they're like, "Great, as long as we hit December." Yeah. <laughs> and like and and like okay, so what we're going to do is we're actually going to embed a leading agile delivery team, okay, in order to provide additional capacity to help you get toward December while we do transformation work in order to ah. help you get to December. Okay. So they're, so they're supporting in terms of delivery, but also in demonstrating uh, the way of working. Exactly. Right. So we're, we're going to show that it is possible in doing it. But again, if we don't create enough safety for them, they're going to go right down to crash in the schedule. Yeah. And they're going to do what they did what in the they past know. to be successful. Yeah. Right. And so we have to we have to keep them away from that for as long as possible. And again, in order to help us do that, if we put in another if we put in a delivery team, that might add enough capacity to the system to help them get to December that it buys us more time to get them further along to where they need to be. Well, and and during that time, hopefully for at least some of the folks, that thing that we were talking about, that will click in. They'll see why mm-hmm. they do these practices and how they can change the landscape that they're working in. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. Show them how to do it. Don't tell them how to do it. So that's a big deal too, because you, uh, you want to show them, you want to lead by example, obviously, but also you want them to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you get them? I guess, and that's sort of a bigger question, maybe for another conversation, but how do you get them from watching you do it and saying, okay, I get it 
to being the ones who are actually up there playing and singing the song themselves. Right. Yeah. I, I, I like the, in the, in the past, what we've done is, you know, you start with formal training just so you can introduce them to the concepts because the concepts are so foreign to them. It's like a foreign language. So if you can't in a classroom environment, explain the core concepts, then you've got no hope, but you start with that. And then you're like, okay, great. I understand the basic concepts. I understand the language. Okay, great. Now let's bring it to you, you know, given your context, given what you do every day, how does this apply? And now it's not just me telling them it's about you tell me, how does it apply to you? And then I can agree or disagree and we can get arrived to the right, you know, where we need to be a lot faster versus me just speaking to them. So I need to get into their, I need our language in their context as quickly as possible, but that's the next step. And then, okay, great. So now we have a shared understanding of that. Now let's demonstrate, let's now do it. And I think then once they do it, I think that might be the final step because that's where, that's where they really risk the failure. Yeah. You know, but, but it's also, it has the greatest opportunity of learning. If they're open to, I mean, like you said before, failure doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's just a chance to learn. So when things stumble, that's all part of the process. I think that's a big part of it too, is helping people understand that the struggle is, is as much a part of it as anything else. Yeah. It's supposed to be hard. And it's hard to use the language like, oh, fail fast. People don't want to hear that. Yeah. You know, what we want, it's learning fast or something, uh, improving fast, whatever we want to say. But saying fail fast just does not resonate with people. Yeah. Um, so we got to uh, shape our language, you know, going into an engagement, not to say stuff like, or, you know, find out if that's going to really push or, or find a way to take the stigma away from failure so people don't see it as a negative. Right. Yeah. Right. Meaning, hey, if we fail fast, we're going to save money. Yeah. You know, that's, it all comes, I I always look at it as, it all comes down to money, our time and money. So if you can show that this is a positive thing, like you said, it takes a stigma away from it, and then it's okay, and actually encouraged. I think you just established yourself as the not uh, touchy-feely agile guy. It's all about money and time, man. It it, it is. (laughs) It is. And coffee. I am. Money, time, and coffee. Yep. Cool. All right. So if people want to track you down, they can find you on Twitter at? Derek Ether. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook page, Snapchat. Um, <laughs> like a social media. Whatever or... other uh, social media you have, it's Derek Heather. Okay. D-E-R-E-K-H-E-T-H-E-R. And at some point we'll do a podcast where you can explain to everyone what Snapchat is actually for, but not today. <laughs> Okay, not today. (laughs) Cool. Thanks, man. This was cool. All right, man.